for yesterday when you went to bed probably you went to bed with the expectation to be alive today and probably also this evening when we go to bed we go to bed with the expectation to be alive tomorrow and not only uh, with the expectation to be alive but also with the expectation that somehow our life will be kind of the same. There will be the same person waking up and there will be this place available. And one thing we will look into uh, this weekend is um, what's the problem with that expectations, with that ex expectation, expectation to be alive tomorrow. And right now, maybe we can start with really deeply appreciating and opening our heart and our senses uh, to this moment where you are still happening. And a moment where somehow this building didn't burn down or the, t the train I came with didn't have a crash um, or even if I would have just a cold, that probably would have kept me, would have had to keep me in Copenhagen. So if we appreciate this moment in its richness and in, in a wonderment how many conditions need to come together for this moment to be what it is. And one of the possible blockages to be present is exactly that expectation that yeah, tomorrow I will be around as well. Tomorrow will be another day where I can celebrate life. As always, this weekend is not a philosophical discussion. There's space for that, and it's an important part of the Buddhist. Uh, path and the Buddhist training, but for me it's more important to see this weekend as an invitation for you to be touched, to feel what is being said and to feel what we are going to share. My invitation is to sit here not only as a head, but as uh, with your whole being, with your whole body, with your whole heart. I'm tempted to start with a quote. During this weekend, obviously, 
a, a lot of what I what I'm going to share is coming from my own from my own relationship to this topic, to the topic death, death and impermanence. When I was very young, which is now a few decades ago, <laughs> um, for a few years I read the books of Carlos Castaneda. And this is a, a, a story, it's still debated if it really happened or if you just made it up, but it doesn't matter, it's a great story anyway. So it is the story about this American anthropologist who goes to South America and he meets a native shaman called Don Juan and he becomes a, a student of Don Juan. So you follow his, his training uh, through a series of eight or nine books and uh, Don Juan uh, very often came to the topic of the presence of death. And uh, at one point he, he says, so this is original Don Juan transmission, death is our eternal companion. It is always to our left, an arm's length behind us. Death is the only wise advisor that a warrior has. Death is, on, is the only wise advisor that a warrior has. There's another quote here, and this is from the Buddha. And I've heard that said uh, by many of the old Tibetan teachers I met. Most of them passed away. So this is a quote from the Buddha. Of all footprints, that of the elephant is supreme. Of all mindfulness meditations, that on death is supreme. Mindfulness of death, mindfulness of the certainty that all of us were going to die. And mindfulness of the fact that the time of death is uncertain. So what I want to explore this weekend with you is how death is the only wise advisor that a warrior has. Obviously, finding a relationship to knowing that you're going to die, that is empowering. That makes you sing, wonder, laugh. that makes you taking your taking that which is really really important to you serious so the presence of death and this weekend looking at this from different angles is meant to connect you with that in you, which is really, really important. And of course, within the Tibetan teachings, there's like suggestions what could be important to you. 
but I think it's much more important that we use this weekend not so much in listening to what is said in the Tibetan Buddhist teachings, but actually what is said in your heart. One gift of death is it cuts through all bullshit. So any kind of fake practice, any kind of parrot practice, any kind of belief, or which we adapt, it's not. It, it, it's going to crumble. So that's why it's important to find that always present, but sometimes difficult to listen to, to find that inner voice. And the teachings, they might help us to connect with that inner voice with that which you already know, but sometimes you forget that you already know. And that knowingness, that deep knowing, is non-conceptual. It's an experience, you could call it, it is uh, an intuition in your heart. It's available at any time. So during this weekend we will explore Don Juan. The only wise advisor is that. And some of you know the nine-point death meditation, so we are going to look at that. A structured way in the Tibetan tradition to contemplate the certainty of death, the uncertainty of death. And then the third point is that using my descriptions before, the only thing which helps, which supports you, is that inner wisdom, the whispers of your heart, the intuitive knowing, which is non-conceptual. Another theme will be to make a plan, plan A and a plan B for the time of death for you. In case plan A doesn't work out, that there is an alternative. 
So, and this moment will come soon. I mean, some of us are already a little bit older, mature. It goes like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. It goes so quick. I mean, 10 years more, 20 years more, 30 years more. It's it's like that. So, contemplating that, The gift, one of the gifts of contemplating that is also that the attitudes, the practices, your trust into your own goodness, which will be your allies in the death process. Of course, they will also enhance the joy, the appreciation of life today. So it's not only like a preparation for a future event, but it is actually also a contemplation which helps us to be present while you are still happening, while there is something happening. And thirdly, and this is a really important aspect of these teachings as well, is the question, how can I be present and supportive with someone who is dying? And part of that could be reflecting and sharing also a little how these situations already happened in your life. How were you already present when your parents died, when a friend died? And maybe we can contemplate how how there might be room for growth within us. So what is a common there's a for me there's a common essence in in uh, in these three themes regarding our practice. And that's something I want to talk about tonight after our meditation. That is both these three areas, my own death and the preparation for my own death and contemplating how I want to be present when people I love die they all have to do with our capacity to be with our feelings. 
And if I would give that a title, I would choose a, a title of a book which uh, was written by a Buddhist practitioner around supporting people dying. And the title of this book is Stay Close and Do Nothing. Stay close and do nothing. So stay close in our practice means we cultivate the willingness, we have the intention to be here with whatever it is. We are, we are, we are taking the seat as a practitioner with intention to touch and to be and to breathe with whatever appears in our experience. And that is a capacity we all have, and meditation can strengthen that capacity, broaden that capacity. Because in meditation we start to learn to be intimate with our feelings, to be intimate with this experience as it is, without being overwhelmed by it. So being with what is, without being overwhelmed by it. So stay close to what is happening, to present moment awareness, with an open heart, with love, with wisdom. If you, in meditation, cultivate that quality, your capacity to be close with others will grow, particularly when they are in pain. The presence of death is always intense. And we are living in a death-phobic culture with a high-tech medical industry, which prevents us to be in that space of death. It's hidden. And if we are afraid of feelings, which starts with the fear of our own feelings, we will do what the nurses often do in the hospital. They avoid the room of the dying. We will be afraid. Or, if we kind of have a sense of duty, or we should, particularly if it's parents or other loved ones, we, will, we might go, but we will not be open to the situation because we are so afraid to feel feelings. So stay close and do nothing do nothing doesn't mean like to resignate or to be passive. So
So here to, to do nothing means to trust presence. To trust the most important gift in a situation like that. And that is your presence. Your love. There is uh, another quote. See if I can find it. Stay close and do nothing. Such a beautiful pith instruction for for this situation which is going to come because we love and people we love, we will be separate separated from them. But also a beautiful practice for our meditation. Being with what is and letting go of wanting to fix it, wanting to control it, wanting to get rid of it. The do-nothing is a very precise, particular way to look at your experience as close as possible so that you see the true nature of what is experienced and at the same time you cultivate the capacity to look without getting lost in it. At one point when you continue to stay close, starting with yourself, and do nothing, you will develop a quiet confidence within you that you can lovingly witness whatever is happening. We all have that capacity because our essential self is infinite love, inexhaustible, incorruptible. For that infinite love, nothing is too much. Nothing is too dark, too painful, too heavy. And more deeply, you inhabit this place which you already know, your heart already knows that place. Your intuition already knows that place. You feel that it is there. And there have been moments in your life where this, where you were, where that background of your essential self was stronger than the content of your experience. All practices, Mama Yisha says, be they Buddhist or not, 
have the purpose to uncover the source of wisdom and love, which is our true nature. More we inhabit our essential self, more we really live from our home address, our real home. Right now, very often, we live, we inhabit the structure of the narrative self with its beliefs of past, future, and separation. That's where we live. That's what we are identified with. That is also the part of us, the dimension of us, which is afraid. Your essential self doesn't know fear. So at the end of the weekend, after talking about death and dying and the death process, and how to support ourselves and others and our family, our whole family, because it's not only supporting the person who's dying. We can have the intention to be there for the whole family, to have the capacity to be there for our whole family from love, So after that weekend, and I don't know if I will return to that throughout the weekend or only at the end of the weekend, there's that paradoxical relief of starting to experience that nobody dies. There's nobody there who could die. But I don't want to jump to that place too early. Because, because of the identification with the narrative self. And that will die. So, what, what is going to die is what we believe we are. What is going to die is what we are not and never were. And that what we are was never born. It's infinite, eternal, boundaryless and centerless. your loved ones, which you already lost. Are so close. What you lost when a person dies was never the person. 
It was your idea. So let's sit quietly for 15 minutes and then we will have a break. So as you already started to do now, we adjust our posture, take our seat and take your time to connect with your inner life. bringing what I said and your responses to that with you. Allow the shift to happen from the head into the body. Into the felt sense of your body and the felt sense of your mood, of your feelings. And this shifting gear from the doing to the being, from being entangled in the stories of the narrative self, to present moment awareness, sliding into present moment awareness for that little journey the breath can be an ally. So with each in-breath, there's a sense of dropping or sliding into the trunk of your body. And it might feel like an embrace, like a hug. You hug yourself with breath and awareness, with in-breaths and awareness. So stay close, that's the staying close, becoming more intimate with what is here. Your awareness stays open, so there's also the sounds in this room and my voice and the presence of the other people. And maybe you can deepen your breath a little for a few moments. And then the out breath represents doing nothing in the sense that in the out breath there is a possibility of some relief, some opening. So with the out-breath, there is a softening in the belly and in the shoulders. And the letting go of the grasping, or grasping for something else to happen, or trying to reject or repress that which is happening. So do, to do nothing means to relax the grasping.
So with the in-breath, stay close, touching, holding softly. And with the out-breath, giving space, letting go of the doing. If you notice that you get entangled in the stream of thoughts and mental images, make that gentle, kind gesture back to a present moment awareness, to the lifeness in your hands or the rising and falling of your belly, to the sounds. present moment awareness. And then you rest. You stay close and you do nothing. You stay close and allow. Then for our support and inspiration, we call upon the presence of the Buddha and the presence of the Dalai Lama and other masters and teachers which are here in this room represented to the different symbols and pictures. And then we also appreciate our fellow travelers here in this room and online. The Sangha. The presence of the Buddha and the Sangha supports us in feeling safe. How fortunate we are to have a safe, safe direction, a refuge. And then we let go, if we relax into the present moment. Something is opening up. Something which some people might call still, stillness or presence. Some people might call it peace or spaciousness.
some might some people might call it awareness something opens up which is bigger and then you rest. Together. Make contact with yourself without referring to words, without referring to stories without referring to thoughts, without referring to mental images. Feel yourself. Without referring to your name, to your personality, to your possessions, to your relationships. A contact with yourself without referring to past and future. Make contact with yourself without referring to thoughts. If there's a thought like, I don't know what this is, I don't know who I who I am without thinking, that's just a thought. And that thought comes and goes, but you remain. Make contact with that you, the one which remains. Past is just a thought, future is just a thought. I am this or that is just a thought. Who are you without referring to thoughts? to mental images, to memories. Memories or projections into the future, they come and go, but you remain. I don't like myself is just a thought, and I'm wonderful is just a thought.
And of course, then you get entangled again and But you recognize that as a thought. So gravitate towards thought-free beingness. A little bit like uh, an ocean with waves, where you inhabit the waves and you think, that's who I am. And suddenly, you become aware of the depth of the ocean. And the waves, they are thoughts. But there's much more. Stay close and do nothing. We have a strong tendency within us in our relationship to our inner life, but also in our relationship to people and outside situations, to try to fix control, to do something. We are trying to find solutions. For example, if you have a moment or a day or a few hours of anxiety, we have a strong tendency then to do something about it. So what should I do now? Meaning, how can I get rid of this? How can I feel better? And for that I need to do something. I need to find a solution. I need to blame someone. What can I fix? What can I con- what, how can I control this? How can I change this? I don't like this. I'm afraid of being afraid. So what should I do? And where does it come from? So that's a very common approach to our inner life. And we can't control death. When we are with a person who is dying, there's nothing we can do. It's not fixable. It's not controllable. So the suggestion for the meditation practice during this weekend is 
to explore what happens if you sit in the muddle of your experience, in the entanglement of your experience, in the fear and the resistance of the fear, in a, in a felt sense of your body, and you just give it space. A metaphor here could be if you have a glass of water with mud, so the mud is symbolizing that which makes us suffer, that which makes us struggle, that which makes us contracted. And this contraction, that struggle, that suffering comes exactly from this tendency to try to fix, try to control, try to get rid of, try to have something else. We suffer because we don't accept this moment as it is. It seems that the suffering is in the grief or in the, in, in the sadness or in the fear, but the suffering comes from the way we relate to what is happening. This is a very important insight and experience which we have to do ourselves. So, of course, we can think about it. Does it make sense? But then we need to try it out and check. So, imagine a glass of water with mud. So, and the, the, the clarity of the water represents our essential self, represents the source of wisdom and love Namayesha mentions, which we, which we are invited in the Tibetan tradition to uncover. It's something to uncover. It's not something which we need to create. It is so the process of healing, the process of awakening is an uncovering process. The uncovering of our Buddha nature of our uncorruptible innocence, which is in the nature of love. So, that's the situation. And uh, the narrative self, what I call the narrative self, is that sense of me which comes into existence through the identification with the mud. We inhabit the mud. We think that's who we are. And somehow we manage even we manage to have a sense of continuity. Even if it's easy to say, to see, to experience that the mud is constantly moving all around. There's nothing thought solid, nothing nothing lasting in the content of our thoughts and in the content of our experience. But we manage to create an illusion of a solid me on the level of the mud. So uh, there are many practices which kind of provisionally 
give us the idea that we can do something about the mud. So, kind of meditation practices like developing compassion and so on and so on. And that that's so helpful. It's good to have a good toolbox to to modulate the mud. Yeah. To modulate the mud so that we suffer less. But here, in this practice, the invitation is to do nothing. And what happens if you do nothing? The mud settles. And the wisdom of your heart, which is symbolized by the clarity of the water, reveals itself. And in that revelation of the clarity of the water comes a knowingness and intuition what is the most wholesome and beneficial to say or to do. Uh, an, an intuition which is not conceptual. It's kind of this gut feeling you sometimes have to go right and not left. Unfortunately, out of habit, we don't trust that. So unfortunately, when this mud is stirred up and there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of strong emotions, we try to use that confused state to think about a solution. And it gets worse and worse, worse and worse. 